I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. It's TF3 during International Week, and we're almost finished on International Week. Back, most people flying back now at this point. Dave, you're flying back to England. Were you in a, a private jet from Brazil? Yeah, I was, Lawrence. You know, me and Neymar, Marcelo from the lads, was, you know, dropping a few shapes on the D floor. Do you ever wonder what that's you know, like? Do you ever wonder like how amazing it must be to be in a private jet on your way back somewhere? It would be pretty fucking fun, right? That's the kind of insight you're here for. Um... And of course, the guy who can say more than just fucking fun, he says it's really fucking fun. It's Chris Hennage. Evening. Yeah, fucking fun. Imagine being on a private jet, Chris. Uh, yeah, what, with other people or just by myself? I don't know. <laughs> Which one do you want? Um, it's a good question. Do I get to pee or is that selected beforehand? Wait, uh, well, hold on a minute. It sort of broke up at the right time and it just sounded like you said, do I get to penal or not? And I was like, well, <laughs> yeah, do I get to penal or do I have to? You have to do, you have to do something to get to that level. But I have to do it in a cup. Sure. Lawrence, <laughs> yeah. quick question. Yeah. Have you ever joined the Mile High Club on a private jet? No, Dave. Are you offering to join the Mile High Club on a private jet? No, I was just asking, mate, because you, you, you do have travelled around with some pretty big people, haven't you? Just wondering, mate. Who have I tra- what does that mean? Travelled around with pretty big people? <laughs> You're shagging you right in the toilet or something. <laughs> Certainly not again, anyway. And definitely not in the Mile High Club. <clears throat> I've, been, I've been on a few jets with a few people, yes, Dave, in my time. Um, um, what, was the, what was the last occasion you were on a jet and who was with? Uh, it was in 2012 with someone from Chelsea, I think. It was oh, a... this sounds good to tell this story. It's not really a story. And there was someone from England, uh, some, some, some England FA person. It was all very cordial and we all had sandwiches. We got off at the other end. The whole hook was on Martian powder. What was the more of? <laughs> it was, uh, it was good. It was lovely. We, we, I took a flight, I took a, like a charter jet, uh, from, uh, Warsaw to um, Kiev, of course, to two of the least salubrious places on the planet. 
Um, so it was lovely. Monte Carlo of the Eastern Bloc. Tell it again. Tell it again. Dave, I'm trying to sort of talk the story down at this point. Just sense the tone. Um, there were just it was literally me, this other guy on the plane, and his son, <laughs> which kills the romance really. Um, so it was great. Really, really great. Really great trip. Thanks, Adina. Anyway, uh, should we get down to it, guys? Uh, I, Creston, have a bit of a theory. Home mm-hmm. nations are interesting. England is boring. And the home nations are interesting because of where they are in their timeline. So Scotland's interesting. Wales interesting. Northern Ireland's interesting. Republic of Ireland's interesting. All these guys have got stories to tell. England, it's just a bit sanitised. And it seems a bit like their point in the timeline is, and I'm not having a dig at any of the managers or anyone on the staff, sort of bloated just a bit bloating over like it's it's almost like they've got gout you know not really i don't understand what you mean sort of like it's it's gotten too big and you're just sort of looking at it and you're like it's a bit this body is a bit bloated we need to de-bloat it and, and make it more streamlined and more for the purpose england's england's a little bit of everything right now but it's not enough of one thing. I genuinely don't understand this question. Okay, so the difference between Scotland and England is Scotland are... Scotland are... They're at a different point in their narrative timeline. They're earlier on than England, if you like. Their achievement... It doesn't feel like their achievement has come yet, and it feels like they have something to work towards. England have just... The the new... uh, The new chief deck is coming... Well, the new chief of has just come in. He's just taken away the aim of winning the World Cup by 2022 in Qatar, probably because he knows it's not going to happen there. Um, you know, it, Sam Allardyce has just come in. The same team was fielded. There's just not that very much excitement surrounding this England team. And there's so much excitement around like Wales and Scotland and Republic of Ireland drawing with Serbia. And then, you know, Northern Ireland sort of getting that nil-nil with Czech Republic. It's all... That's exciting. That's buccaneering. You know, 5-1 against Malta. Sure, it's Malta. 5-1. And then Wales just taking charge against Moldova and winning 4-0. That's so much more exciting. I think <clears throat> I think those those countries you talk about, though, they have aimed either much more achievable or are a lot more special relative to their history. So Wales getting to a tournament... Northern Ireland getting to a tournament, Republic of Ireland getting to a tournament, Scotland trying to get a tourna- to a tournament. They feel a lot more special when you consider how long they've been absent from tournaments. Yeah, but Chris, no dis- Whereas- disrespect to England, but England, when was the last time they won anything? No, but that's the point, is that at this stage, you're not going to win anything. All you're going to do is qualify for a tournament. So England qualify for tournaments perfectly fine. They have no issue doing that. I think, what was it, 10 from 10 for, for the Euros, the finish? Didn't even lose a game, didn't even drop a point. They've got no problems with that. So in that sense, I'm not surprised that people don't get excited for the qualifiers because England always breathes through them. The, the, the difficulty always comes for them when they have to go and play in a tournament itself. And yeah, but I'm not even talking about excitement. So I'm, I'm t- literally talking about, Chris, that England feels stale. It feels boring. Yeah, because not a lot, not a lot has changed. The the different the differences with the Northern and Republic round Wales, they've all just been to a tournament, and to varying degrees performed quite well. So there is the sort of buoyance of that, the that, 
that bleeds into the next pin and the belief you can achieve something and you are moving towards a goal. You are moving towards something positive and an advancement of that national team, of that FA, etc., etc. Scotland as well, <clears throat> excuse me, while they didn't qualify, it does feel as if they are starting to build a fairly good team. Players like Matt Ritchie are coming to the fore. Chris Martin is becoming important. You've got Oliver Burke, who's just joined Red Bull Leipzig or Ross Bull Leipzig. He's another player that is seen as exciting. The fans essentially have something to invest in on an emotional level. England fans at this precise moment have a very poor tournament performance in the summer. They have an England manager who just said he can't tell one of his players where to play because he has more international experience than himself. They have a squad that, for the most part, is almost identical to the one that just lost to Iceland. Again, all due respect to Iceland. And you could argue the most exciting prospect to draw a comparison to Burke in Marcus Rashford is being, in in inverted commas, sent down to the under-21s to play. So there's just nothing for, for fans to get invested in. So I, I see now what you're saying about being bloated. That perception is the storm of a lot of different factors together. Okay, fair enough. So what about Wales and Scotland? Those, you know, this Wales team is exciting, Chris. Yeah, that's the point, is that they play, <clears throat> excuse me, quite exciting football. They've got the likes of Gareth Bale still leading the charge. Someone that you can invest in, a, a patriot, because he clearly is, is someone that's very proud of his nation and proud of what he achieves with that nation. And then you've got the likes of sort of Ramsey, even guys like, I guess Johnny Williams, Joe Ledley. Then you've got those ones just a tier below. Emma Hugh, is it Emma? Em, Emran? My sincere apologies. I'm atrocious with names. The, the young lad who plays at Cardiff, he's a, a fairly talented midfielder from, from the limited things I've seen. Hal robson Carney was now back in the Premier League. So it's that idea that there is something to get excited about, that you feel as if almost your country has a plan and that plan <clears throat> has a little bit of long-termism to it. So it's about, at this precise moment, them having those peak players who, in two years' time, will be around the perfect age, if not sort of peak or their last tournament when it comes to Russia. Mm. They have the belief of how they did in the Euros, how they did in qualifying, that all... It's, it's momentum. That's what international football is. It's momentum. And the way that England finished the summer in France killed any of that momentum. And I would argue further drove a wedge between the supporters, the supporters who pay their money and go and travel with them, and the actual team themselves. They felt like losers. Wales lost as well. That's the thing. There's only one winner from the Euros, and that was Portugal. The other, what was it? 24, 31 teams, however many it was altogether. Yeah, come on, Chris. Wales didn't really lose, did they? Where, where, Wales the lost, point. but they didn't. Look at, look at it in a binary sense. Everyone but Portugal lost. Everyone but Portugal yeah, lost. But, yeah, but, but that only really counts if you look at it in that binary level, way, that dogmatic sort of... Saying. This is what I'm saying. On an emotional level, Wales won. Because not only did they get out of their group, they recovered from the loss to England... They got further than England did in the long run, and they made an, a significant impact on an international tournament. That, to them, is a win. Yes, in the binary sense, they did not win. <clears throat> As I said, only Portugal did. Yes, literally. But look at, 
every other home nation that was there, in an emotional sense for them, in a personal sense, they won because they made progress. Only the Republic of Ireland maybe didn't. Who has emotionally won other tournaments? I mean, you know, who emotionally won uh, the World Cup 2014? Costa Rica. Yeah. Uh, Expected to be literally the whipping boys of their group. Not only did they destroy that perception, they went really far, pushed Holland all the way in that game as well. And by that point, had everyone but the Dutch people, I think, chanting and, and cheering them on. So the table, and think how many of the players got moves off the back of that as well. I mean, I've, I've got a little bit of investment in that because, again, my missus is, is Costa Rican, as you know. So yeah. the likes of Gamboa and Brian Ruiz, Joel Campbell, all these players, uh, Celso Borges as well, they all got moves off the back of it and all sort of raised the standard that they were at as players. Even the lesser ones, like Yeltsin Tejeda, got a move to, to Evian in France. So they all raised their level. So they all won in the figurative sense even though it was Germany that won in the binary literal sense. Who won Euro 2012, Dave, emotionally? Um, that is a good question. I, I think the Icelandic, to be honest. I think they won 2012, it on right? 2012, Dave. 2012. Uh, yeah. 2016, the Icelandics won. Yeah, 2012. Uh, God, that was so... Um, four years, Dave. I mean, I'm going to say Poland won it to some extent. Uh, Ukraine. No, I think Poland again won it this time more than they did last time. Yeah, no, probably, yeah, because they did go out in the group stages. Um... Italy maybe won it emotionally in the last tournament. Or maybe not. Yeah, Yeah. anyway, let us know who emotionally won every tournament uh, back throughout history. There's not one every tournament, but in relation to 2012... No, but I think there should be one for every tournament. Surely there is. You look at Italy, you look at Italy and you look at Balotelli, who scores in the semi in Warsaw against Germany, essentially performs on a big stage, mm. silences a lot of doubters in that sense, yeah. has quite an emotional tournament, if I remember, just in general. Yeah. And they they try valiantly to defeat Spain, but everyone just accepts Spain were just too good. We, I remember coming away from that game and university people saying there was literally nothing that Italy could have done. That, that is a trend that you just can't stop at the moment. Is that maybe then, though, Chris, the point is that you, what you want to do is you don't only want to win a tournament, you emotionally want to win a tournament as well. Exactly. That's the thing is that if if you can't win a tournament, you at least want to go away knowing you tried and came away with something tangible. Even see, even the Wales result as sort of um, sort of I don't oh, want to keep on. using the word emotional as as last minute and kind of almost salvation that was to nick it in the last minute like that with Daniel Sturridge, there was a feeling of, meh, it yeah. wasn't really a battle. It was it was essentially Wales covering up for about 45 minutes while England tried to shut them down. Yeah, and that, yeah. But Dave, it wasn't a contest. You look at, I mean, let's go back to when we were kids and you look at things like Paul against Argentina. That was a game they lost, but it was all focused on Beckham. It was, it was the coward and the 10 Lions. I, th- I think that was a, a front page, in fact. It was. It was something like 10 lions, one no. little boy, or something yeah, yeah, like yeah. one stupid boy. It's that kind of thing where you take away something from it that is prideful, essentially. Like I don't even think it's necessarily just emotional. It's a sense of pride because at that moment, those are the 11 best representatives of your country at this sport. Allegedly. Possibly. Yeah. The 11 best paid representatives. Um I often think it would be good to have an amateur World Cup 
Hmm? They have that? a homeless one. That's a kind of a similar vibe, I guess. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, yeah. Uh, yeah, in a way. I suppose that's it. it might be the Olympics, but then people don't value that as much. Um, but Dave, maybe emotionally England are winning. They have a lucky penny. You are, you're a crazy man tonight, Lawrence. I'm not crazy, Dave. It says uh, Sam Allardyce in his post, post-match. Now, b- bear with me here, Dave, because uh, he met a, a lovely little lad in the hotel who gave him a lucky penny. Um, okay. And uh, he said a father and his son in a wheelchair came to the hotel this morning and asked if it was okay to have a picture. When we finished, he said, let, you give me, let me give you let, give me a lucky coin. <laughs> Some other nice ripped it off as a small <laughs> child and ran off. <laughs> um, Allegedly, Lawrence. Is this your penny? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, he said, Here it is. Um, I had it uh, with me in my pocket. Uh, we won, so it'll stay with me. Uh, and then he says, I'm not uh, really superstitious, but I'm going to keep it. I've got us a last minute winner, he says. Uh, it, oh, it's I'm got a salon. I'm going to keep doing it. <laughs> I'm not superstitious, but I'm definitely going to keep this going. Um, and he said, uh, I wonder how far it will take. <laughs> I think I think the real question is, Lawrence, do you have any superstitions? And Christy, what are your superstitions? I don't have any. Um, if it, if Liverpool, if when I was younger, if Liverpool were winning uh, and I was sitting in a certain way, I would just you stay start sitting. Start aggressively on your penis. <laughs> <laughs> I would just... Um, stay sat in the same position. So I'd be okay. like, I'd be like, the world is good, right? Like the world is like everything is right. Don't move anything in the world. It was quite sort of butterfly effecty. Um, I got over that very quickly and started moving around freely. Um, Chris, <laughs> um, whenever I play football, uh, after I score my first goal, yeah. I cross myself. Um, this will sound very cheesy. Cross myself and then point to the sky. And the one time I didn't do it, I injured myself really badly. Oh, <laughs> Seriously, I, uh, what do you call it? Uh, Taught ankle ligaments and was out for like three months. Jesus. I'm just saying, I, um, I think, I think uh, Big Sam gave England the emotional win the other night by taking a young, uh, a young boy's coin. That's all I'm saying. All his right. lucky coin. His lucky coin. And, and it was and given to him. That boy hasn't been seen since. <laughs> Dave. What's your emotional uh, superstition that you have to go through? Is it drinking 10 pints of beer before a game or something? Well, that's definitely one. You've got to get over the 10-pint mark. But I also don't bet on Manchester United. It's one of my rules. Oh. I just, it's just, it doesn't happen, you know? You can't do it. Why? Not for me. Oh, you mean, yeah, but Dave, sure, I mean, surely you could flip that and say, someone could say to you what, you don't back your own team. Yeah, but I just feel it's a, it's a super, it's just a superstitious thing that me and my mother developed. And unfortunately, it's stuck. Your forever. mother developed it. No, we used, we used to go to the football mums, and we uh, I think we bet on United one time, and they lost against someone really rubbish. Like, <laughs> Your mother developed. Like <laughs> My mother developed this theory in that we lost once. <laughs> yeah, and we never did it again. And Man United went on to win the Champions League. So, uh, you know. Yeah. No, I do. Yeah. That that feels like that really old joke <clears throat> about. Um... When I die, I'm going to have, insert team name here, um, carry my coffin so they can let me down one last effing time. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm pretty sure Joe Weller's got that written, but with Jamie Carragher. Um, good. Oh, breaking news. The, what the hell is it? 
The GRM Daily Awards, yeah. the winner of Best Personality, is yes. David Vianney and, and Poet. And poet. Well-deserved. Um, England's next match is England, uh, Malta, and that one's in October. And then it's Slovenia versus England, which is also in October. Uh, two huge games to look forward to there. Just a quick reminder, Scotland beat Malta 5-1. Did anyone see Gordon Strachan's... In- <laughs> yeah, we'd like that too. <laughs> Rodney, Rodney. <laughs> Rodney, Rodney better get here sooner. I'm got him off. But we'll put it on the uh, the Twitter page. It's, it's brilliant. It is good. I'll give him that. I, I do like Gordon Strachan. He's so he's so sort of short with people, isn't he? He's such a, a he's, he's such a conflicting character because it is very funny. Like <clears throat> there was an instance where a reporter asked him, said Gordon, can I have a quick word, and he said velocity. Um, yeah, so no, there are definitely he has like that which are like I say brilliant there are moments I don't enjoy him he's he's done some some f- less than fun things in interviews really? as well like what? yeah he's <clears throat> he instance when he was Middlesbrough manager where he basically insinuated that women know nothing about the game when he was asked a question by a female reporter and he has express some questionable views on could you not say the same about Zlatan there's something about Zlatan Ibrahimovic that it didn't Zlatan do that once where it was something like uh someone asked and a a female I know what you're talking about a female reporter asked him if he was gay with PK because of a photograph that was circulating of him looking quite tender with him yeah he said I'll I'll show you if I'm gay or not come around my house and bring your sister yeah and I sort of thought do you do you counter one kind of discrimination with another kind of discrimination i couldn't work do you think that's insane i mean yeah i suppose you're not really here to uh, pass judgment but it was a little bit weird um Mm. and i don't know what he was going to show them at his house i mean was he got evidence that he's not gay or something (laughs) idiot um anyway (laughs) i'll get the photo album get the photo album i'm showing you pictures i'm not gay there's me kissing a girl (laughs) yeah and i like it again kissing a girl (laughs) Slatan, you really don't need to do this. No, no, I do. Um, anyway, do uh, photographs together. <laughs> um, <laughs> anyway, uh, let's move on because Kosovo Why also your head on Sean Connery's body. <laughs> Kosovo uh, drew one all against Finland, and Chris, uh, we were talking pretty much about them being a really attacking side. Um, that attacking in the end almost overawed Finland and almost got Kosovo the win. It did, it did. I think the goal that uh, Valon Barisha scored, who was, who was someone we talked about last time, mm. I think that just really lit a torch under a lot of them. And, and from what I could glean afterwards, they were running around like the proverbial madmen afterwards. And, oh, they were. And it was, it was all-out attack. You know, when you go all the, you know, you do all-out attack on FIFA, it was that. And I, and I, think, I think some of that is because of <clears throat> the... The moment that it was, it was their first game. It had been a, a fairly long journey to, to where they were. Um, I think, again, in what will be the buzzword tonight, it was emotional for them. There was a lot of complexities to it that I don't even think <clears throat> I could start to comprehend um, as someone that's that's not in that position. Well, the the I, six I think, players of the squad only got approved like literally four hours before the game. Mm. Uh-huh. And, and I think, in, in some respects from a tactical sense at least, they will mirror Iceland. And what I mean by that is 
we will maybe make sweeping judgment based on a very small sample size mm. when actually I think we almost need to give it time to, to percolate and, and develop a little bit so we can actually work out what their style is because, you know, the at the minute it looks very attack intensive. Um, I can kind of see why looking at the squad, there's talk, I think, that Adnan Yanezai might be next to come through, which would be huge for them. There are obviously some noble names they can't now call up because they've chosen to to stay with the country that they they first made their international bow with. But overall, I think aside from the the political element and and all of those um, outside influences, it will be very interesting to watch that national team develop. It, I think Bosnia was perhaps just a little bit before my time in terms of being able to to take a notice of it and, and have it resonate with me, whereas Kosovo is something I, I will be quite keen to watch and, and know over the coming months and years. Worth following James Montague, friend of the podcast, if you want to find out more. And also Nick Ames, Chris, am I right? I think that's correct. That's how you say yeah. him. Ames, yeah. Um, yeah, he wrote a really good piece, actually. Ames is, is good for that kind of stuff. He, he does, if I remember right, he does a fair few things in Eastern sort of Europe. Um, I remember he went to Freddie Adu's Serbian club to have a chat with him and things like that. He really does go to the ends of the earth for Freddie. Uh, anyway, let's go even further afield than Kosovo at this point. And Dave, it's almost time for AFCON, in that AFCON is almost four months away. And because of it's the international break and people had no Premier League news, they needed to take it back to, oh my God, in January, Liverpool won't have Mane and Mohamed Nene will be gone from Arsenal. It's pretty ridiculous, isn't it? But, you know, these things happen. It's going to be a big miss. Mane's given Liverpool something that they do lack, and that's pace and directness in the final third and ability to create something out of nothing. You know, something similar to what Bob can do for Manchester United. So he's going to be a big loss if they can't uh, work a way to play with Firmino Coutinho and Daniel Sturridge up top. I don't think that's trio works at all. Um, so that's going to be a big test for them. Obviously, Everton are just again, who's been pretty good so far this season. Um, Yannick Balassi, we've not really seen much of, but could potentially be okay. That's a frighteningly uh, good been, Senegal like, team, though, isn't it? Yeah, pretty decent Senegal team, yeah. And um, I think they potentially could have a good chance. Uh, do you know, where, where's it hosted, did you say, Lawrence? I didn't say, Dave, but give me a oh, second. Oh, what do you do your research, Lawrence? Dave, it, the, did you know there are... <laughs> I think this, it might be... Wait, Dave. It is in Africa, yes. Uh, sweet. Yeah, Did you know, I've never seen so many qualifying groups for any other tournament. There's qualifying groups A to M. Um, we can. It's in uh, Gabon, Lawrence. Oh, it's in Gabon. Uh, Gabon, Gabon, as they call it. Gabon, as you call it, Dave. Um, Gabon. Who else is from Gabon? I looked up someone from Gabon the other night, but I can't remember who. Oh, I think it might be Gabon. Um, Sunderland's latest signing is is from Gabon, I believe. Yeah. No, it was in in the 2013 um, African Cup of Nations. Mm-hmm. I really start. I, I, I jumped on the uh, Burkina Faso hype. Yeah. There's a lad called um, Alan Traore in central midfield, and, and he just scored some Alan. boss goals in that yeah, tournament. Yeah. He was so good. Yeah. He got the assist of the tournament as well, like a back heel through ball. Whew, what a player! What a player! Yeah, there's a few decent ones though. You've got uh, what do you call him? Bruno Manga at Cardiff, who used to be at Lorient. Uh, Mario Lamina at Juventus. They're, not, they're really not as um, as poor as, as you might think. Yeah, well, I mean, <clears throat> Liverpool won't be losing uh, John Matip because he hasn't played for Cameroon for quite some time. Um, but uh, Manchester United may be losing Bay, Dave. 
Be frightened, Dave. Dave? It's Dave dead. Anyway, uh, moving even further afield, let's go to CONCACAF, uh, Kristen, where the CONCACAF president has said, and I quote, there's been a shitstorm here. <laughs> I don't really know what to say there. All I can think is to make jokes. Isn't that, isn't that, isn't that really weird, though? Swinging open the bathroom door, he exclaimed. <laughs> been um, a shit. Yeah, they've just misquoted him. Yeah, there's been a shitstorm in here. The, I mean, my sort of association and understanding um, with Congress is not as long in the tooth as, as others. Um, is it Victor Montegliano? It is, yes. I actually everyone's favourite kind of pastor. Um, I went to a press conference. He speaks very well. Um, but yeah, CONCACAF has a very, and again, this is quite a short history or a short understanding on my part. From what I've seen of it, it mixes between being quite well organized with the likes of the US and then nations that are really run like Sunday league football teams. Um, it's, it's a very stark contrast in that sense. And also the referees usually are a heavy point of criticism. Um, in fact, there is a term that floats around CONCACAF, which usually means Good. you've had a refereeing decision that is exceptionally poor. Um, I think as well, it's it's kind of, it's also kind of still struggling to move away from Jack Warner and the ghosts of Jack Warner. In fact, Kick um, and Howler did a, a really good little mini doc on that. So I would advise anyone who, who is interested into kind of learning the, the history of football to, to watch that because... I mean, Jack Warner himself is a a crook. Yeah, I'm going to say crook. I feel confident in getting away with this. Yeah, I think he is. Yeah, I mean, he's allegedly a crook. You know, allegedly. Yeah, and it's it's a shame because it Trinidad and Tobago they were they were humbled last night by the United States. No one will contest that. But there is a good amount of talent within that squad, and you know they were at a World Cup as recently as '06, if I remember right. So to see them struggle like this is quite a shame. I would like to to see them achieve their potential. Um, I spoke to, to Kevin Molino, the Orlando winger, about that quite recently. And I think he's hopeful of, of achieving some success with them while he's playing there. Um, it just doesn't seem that likely. I think at the minute there is a little bit of a a dominance in, in CONCACAF when you've got the likes of, it's pretty much Mexico, the United States, Costa Rica, and then kind of maybe someone else filling in that four spot and then the rest kind of fight around to well, to see who fills up the, the table. Everyone wants to reach the hex though, don't they, Chris? Mm, that's the that's the next stage. The US qualified quite comfortably, as did uh, Costa Rica. Okay. Um, Mexico is, as well has made it through. So this is where the, the business end kind of kicks in. The, the hex is a, a funny kind of tournament. I, I don't think there's any other... Confederation that, that sorts its World Cup qualifiers in that way, um, but it'll be an interesting one. If I if I remember correctly, the United States play Mexico three days after the U.S. election, which Ooh. could make for an interesting subplot if one candidate wins. Jokes about a wall. Jokes about a wall. Um, and whether Mexico can build one or not, let's hope there's lots of free kicks in the game. Um, Chris, before we move on from the international football uh, side of things, Netherlands, they're a, they're a, they're a 
funny one, aren't they? I feel like borrowing Mr. Conquercalf Man's. There's <laughs> been a shitstorm in here. Hello. Oh, Dave's back. Welcome back, Dave. Oh, uh, you thank you. Don't worry, Dave. Sorry about that. Technical issues. It's fine. You're back. Um, anyway, Chris, let's let's move on to Netherlands. Uh, talk yes. to me a little bit about the because you know there were some. I think there were some choice quotes from Rude Hullet who said uh, something. Oh, uh, Dutch football is a mess. Oh, there's been a shitstorm in here. Um, it hurts me. We think we know everything. And I think it's that line, that we think we know everything, Chris, which seems sort of, mm. it's so telling, isn't it? Because that is partly why the team does seem to have declined a little bit. Is this almost petulance at, 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 at wanting to just continue with the way that they go and the arrogance of continuing down that route? I think <clears throat> I think some of that perceived arrogance is founded, though, because if you look at how many schools of thought have been birthed by that central idea that is the Dutch idea or the Dutch way of playing. There, there is certainly credence to say that it has an influence still and has a, a place in irrelevance. The thing that has always struck me about the Dutch is the personalities present. And the story that always jumps out is it's the 2010 World Cup in South Africa and the, the Dutch players are sitting around and it's the backup goalkeeper, Pate Verluzien, and Wesley Snyder and Snyder turns to Valusian and says how much do you make again and again I'm obviously paraphrasing here uh, and Valusian says I make around 400,000 euros uh, a year and Schneider kind of laughs and says you know I make 10 times that and for me that's that's where I think the arrogance isn't necessarily rooted in the style and the way they play I think it's rooted in the individual and I think it's a lack of responsibility individually. And, you know, I watched uh, the game against Sweden. And I look at someone like Daryl Janmat, who, if you were to watch the highlights, you would say, you know, he had a decent game. He, he got forward really well. Um, he provided a real threat. And, and whenever they looked like doing something decent, he was part of it. It was coming down his side. Yeah. Actually, if you watch the game, he has two absolute nightmares in defence and gives away the ball needlessly twice because he's trying to be too clever with it. And his attacking output, most of them were hitting defenders, most of them weren't beating the first man. And I've had the, the fortune of watching Jan Matt for a few years now, or two years more specifically, um, on a regular basis. And that, for me, typifies him, is that <clears throat> he does look very good on a highlights package, but he doesn't look very good if you watch the full 90. Mm. And I think there's a, that, that criticism can be levelled at a fair few Dutch players, not just the ones that were at Newcastle, likes of Wijnaldum and such. I think there are a good number of them who genuinely struggle for the consistency needed to influence a game over 90 minutes. And yet I will say that with the slight omission of Kevin Strootman, who I thought was actually quite impressive. You know, and I really hope he is able to, to shake off that, that injury uh, curse that he's had for a few years now. Why impressive? Um, just his control is, is the way he kind of just dictated things he put through two lovely lofted passes um, one for Davy Klaas and I forget who the second one was for um, he's just someone with a, a good eye in terms of picking passes and maybe finding the unconventional routes for the ball to travel and I think honestly looking at the Dutch I think they've missed that a little bit in central midfield Um Oh yeah, definitely. I think also there are some selection issues. Personally, I'm sure Dave will have stronger opinions than myself. 
I don't rate Daly Blind that highly. Um, I don't think he's a left back. Um, Holy smokes, Batman. No, Chris, you can't tell me something like that. We were just about to be pals as well. I also don't think he's that great in central midfield. I think he's all right as a defensive midfielder that sort of passes the ball sideways a little little bit like Busquets, but not of that level. But I just, as a left-back, I just don't think he's quick enough or sort of good enough in the final third to provide the kind of balance that they need when they're playing someone like Jan Matt. I think with Daley Blind is that what he has done over the last season for Manchester United is played centre-back very effectively and whether he's going to progress central midfield could be an option there or just he reads the game in the way that he hates his weaknesses and being good in the air and being quite slow in terms of positioning and his timing is absolutely wonderful and it's it's wonderful to see a player progress from being a left-back at Manchester United that did have a, a weakness in a way that if you got Daily Blind on the spin, you're in behind. And, you know, you consistently play balls over the top or play balls into the, the channel in between the left centre-back and the left-back. You could have sort of had him. But going forward, he was very good. He was always very good on the ball in an attacking sense. So I, I'm a massive fan of Daily Blind and whether it is this Dutch team not showing what he can do because how he's brought the ball on the back for Manchester United over the last season and a half is... Well, last two seasons has been absolutely phenomenal. It's, you know, I think you'd say Rio Ferdinand's probably the best ball playing centre back I've seen at United. Vidic was very good towards the the back end of his career. But what Daily Blind has is something that they don't, and it's it's just quality on the ball, real quality that you can't really teach. And you know, the the tempo of the pass that he puts in, where he puts it, and some of the assists he's got for United over the last season. There was one against West Ham where he just pinged it over the top, and there was another one in the. Uh, the Carling Cup that last season that was just an unbelievable 30-yard pass that was pinpoint. And I think with Daley Blind, maybe it's this Dutch side that's letting him down, but I do think he is a wonderful, wonderful footballer. Yeah, I think, yeah, well, we'll see. Uh, let us know what you think of Daley Blind. Uh, final thing before we go into the Premier League, uh, Neville, he just he, this corrupt refs thing, Dave, uh, PGMOL, Professional Game Match Officials Board, um, they're not in denial of it, um, but they are kind of trying to protect their guys, if you like, because a few referees have sort of been saying they felt a little bit influenced, if you like. And Neville called this out, but no, no one seems to want to talk about it with him. I think there's a lot of stuff that is going a little bit wrong for the officials at the moment. It seems like there's a, a bit of a wind or a bit of a, a gale force blowing at them. Obviously, the law change hasn't helped at all in terms of the infringements that have been given in the penalty, quite frankly, is ridiculous. And they need to go back to next season, the last last season's rule as soon as possible for me. But in terms of match officials being um, being pushed to make a decision or, or so forth, that just needs to be ironed out in a way that they need to, you know, they do need to keep their integrity. It's, it is difficult to keep your integrity. You know, money is money. But uh, does, enough but, money. Yeah, but does integrity not, what do you mean by that? But does integrity not come through honesty? This is the thing, It's it, being a referee is what I was moving on to say, it's like being a policeman in a way, where you need to be like bang on it, you need to be completely for the law, you need to fight that fight that cause even though potentially it might not be the right cause in certain situations, yeah. um, you've just got to do it, you've got to referee the game and you've got to ignore this uh, this corruption in a way, but yeah, it's it's a big thing, we've seen how FIFA's fallen down. We've seen that the Olympics have uh, have sucked up the doping over you know in, over in Brazil. So I think with with officials and they just need to be strong and they need the support as well. And that's the big thing I think. You know, players inside the game should be trying to help them out a bit more or you know giving them a voice. Maybe I don't know. There's, I think there's something there. The game 
owes a lot to match officials because they do make the game run and they do make the game flow. And, you know, you see those officials that celebrate goals after they play a um, you know, they play on after a foul. It's it's good, but I think they need a little bit more support from the community. But as well, uh, potentially you need to, I don't know, something else. We need we need another body maybe that can help them out because I don't feel that they get enough protection from their uh, the refereeing body at the moment. Uh, Dave, another opinion that I'd love from you. And just before we go on to the biggest match of the weekend, Manchester United players, and this wasn't the Sun, so it might not be true have been told it's not cost-effective to swap shirts after the game. Excuse me? Manchester United players have reportedly been encouraged not to swap shirts after a match in a bid to save money. Apparently, to give away your T-shirt, your any shirts, is not effective. Yeah, but surely, right? So, here's a little theory for you, Lawrence, right? So, uh, you know, Rooney... This isn't my rule, but all right. (laughs) Swaps his shirt with let's say, Alexis Sanchez, right? So surely Rooney could give the Alexis Sanchez shirt to Manchester United as a, you know, as a, as a trade. Yeah, but Dave, right? they, Dave they, can't, they can't wash it and make him wear it for the next game. <laughs> Imagine that, would be fucking brilliant. That would be great if the, if the sort of <laughs> like last, United, the last yeah, United. took. That'd be great. Like you take take the goalkeeper's shirt if you score a goal past him or something like that, or if you you nutmeg someone, you take their you know, their shin pads take or their something. Soul. Yeah, <laughs> take their shin pads. Yeah, um, yeah, but I know what you mean. I mean, you know, surely, surely. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. A, a, a team that can pay 290k a week and 260k a week to Pogba and Zlatan, respectively, can, um, can afford to give away some shirts, Dave. You think so? Maybe it's an Adidas initiative. They want to make their, they want to keep the, the the supply of the Adidas shirts down to a minimum to increase price. Out there, Lawrence. Uh, that would be unusual, but all right. <laughs> um, anyway, moving on. Any other big news of this week? Do let us know. But the things are heating up in Manchester, and for good reason, because both sides have been performing well coming into the Manchester derby. There's been excitement for both teams. Um, and Dave, at this point, to keep comparing the two sides in how they're going to do come the end of the season, all this kind of stuff, almost seems a little counterproductive to what we're going to see during the game. So let's talk tactics for a minute. How do we expect Mourinho to line up this Manchester United side to beat a Pep Guardiola team? Well, I think, uh, you know, you've got to take the last time that they were playing domestically, um, and that was in La Liga. 
Um, and in a way, Mourinho started to get the better of the Clasicos. The, the, when he first joined um, La Liga, Barcelona gave them a number of spankings. They beat them 5-0, I think. They beat them 4-1. Um, they just dominated them. But Mourinho slowly worked out a plan. Um, and it ended up being pressing very intensely for the first 10 minutes. You'd say 10 to 15 minutes in with their sort of front four. And then they'd leave their, their six to deal with the counter-attack. You know, the two defensive midfielders and then the four, four at the back. Um, but also pressing them out of goal kicks, pressing them out of free kicks deep in their area, you know, they'd slow the play down. That was the thing. You've got to kill Barcelona. Well, you have to kill that Barcelona team before they could get a move going. Because obviously when they get the move going, uh, you're chasing shadows in a way. But that's what you had to do. You had to stop it early. You had to break the momentum and you had to make them, you know, sweat, put them under pressure. And that's what um, Mourinho did. But also, you know, he used things like set pieces to uh, to his um, advantage. And I think that's a big thing for the, for the derby in a way. The set piece is going to be crucial. You know, I've, uh, you know, the tactics, there's a lot of interesting tactical things. But if we go to the basic tactical thing in this set piece, Man United have a huge advantage. You know, the average height there, 6-1, average height at Manchester City this season with players that they've used is 5-9. So that is a big, big advantage. You've got big players in there. Maron Fellaini, who I imagine will be fit. Zlatan Ibrahimovic, Paul Pogba, Eric Bailly. You've got a lot of powerful players there in the air that could really cause Manchester City some problems. Anthony Martial, we've not even spoke about. Um, you know, if Marcus Rashford plays as well, Wayne Rooney, there's, there's a lot of players there with a lot of physicality that can do well in the air. So maybe that'll be where United will um, catch them out, you know, press early, try and win free kicks in there in the City half. Uh, but I also, if I think that Manchester United do back themselves and do sit with the ball inside the City half for, uh, you know, two minutes, they, they will find a few cracks. You know, we saw Sunderland do that whenever Sunderland had the ball in the City half in that game. City just didn't know, not, didn't know what they were doing when they defended. They didn't know who was going not have any real core structure or anything and similar with the Stoke game when there was big problems there but you know I think there's going to be a lot of questions that both Mourinho and Pep Guardiola need to you know need to ask of each other as managers but also they need to answer the other one's question well answer my question Chris uh you know Pep Guardiola coming in this is going to be his first derby it, it's clearly against people, you know, a couple of guys on that side that hate him. You know, half of Manchester hate him. I mean, half of, you know, Trafford or Salford hate him. I, you know, what's what's it going to be like for Pep? Because, you know, he's got Ibrahimovic, Mourinho on one side and his guys on the other. And they're not quite his guys yet, but they're getting there. Yes, and I think they've shown some promise early on with the tactical stuff and, <clears throat> and understanding it. I think, when I look at it, the the biggest, and I look at, <clears throat> excuse me, I think it's the fourth goal against Stoke, where the ball is played out from the back, and Ianacho dummies it. It then goes to Sterling. Sterling squares it to Nolito, and he taps it home. That kind of synergy early on, I think, is is quite impressive. The the one can, if I'm a City fan, is that. Really, those kind of well-laid plans, they can often come undone in a derby game. Ramps up so many, the energy ramps up so much. In fact, I remember talking to uh, Malcolm McDonald, the the former Arsenal and, and Newcastle striker a few years ago, about derby games and, and a general standpoint. And he said, well, if I was giving the team talk, I think I would say to the players, first 10 minutes or the, the first tackle, the first pass, make it your most committed of the day and essentially set a bar there and also send a message to your opponent that you are not looking to lose today. You are looking to, to win it and really just hammer home the psychological point of you're, you're bigger, you're faster, you're stronger. And I think the size issue Dave talks about is, is going to be a very interesting one as well. 
Um, because if there's one thing that I think has, has undone Guardiola teams from time to time, it is essentially being outmuscled. Um, so I, I, I'm sure Dave has, has more kind of strong opinions on this as someone that's really dived into the, the tactical side of things. I think there's, there's you know, the, the strength thing is interesting because the flip side of that is that David Silva and Kevin De Bruyne have both been playing as, as free eights, as Pep Guardiola calls it, in a, in a 4-3-3. The big questions when Pep joined Manchester City, you know, who's he going to play? Is he going to be De Bruyne or Silva? Or is one of those going to get pushed wider? Is one going to have to play deeper? In fact, what he did was play both of them, and that's what he's done in the Premier League games. But that, that kind of could potentially cause a mismatch in central midfield um, you know, I think that Flaney will play right central midfield. That's given. Um, and if David Silva, um, in a way, can play on that, you know, the left-hand side, him linking with um, with the wide player and then making those runs in behind, the, the underlapping, in a way, underlapping the wide player, making those runs inside, that's where Maron Flaney could catch him, you know, catch Maron Flaney out in terms of agility. Maron Flaney's been brilliant this season for reasons that I've discussed previously. But what he needs to do in this game is not dive in, stay on his feet, back off, and just let the structure of the team deal with this free-flowing movement and just sit so deep. Um, and if a man goes past him, you know, pass it on to the centre-back or the full-back or whatever, or take him himself, follow him into the penalty area of himself. And I think that's a big thing for Manchester United um, going into the derbies, dealing with those two eights in central midfield, because their movement's been fantastic. But also the inverted full-backs as well, that Pep's used at the start, you know, they were very narrow, they've come a little bit wider now. But there's also a tactical issue there, like who picks them up? Is it the wingers? Is it the centre midfielders? So there's a lot of questions that Guardiola is going to ask of um, Mourinho. And I think Mourinho will just park the bus and lots of plan the break. With someone like Marcus Rashford, I feel like he has to start. Do you think he's going to try and kill form. it? Do you think, do you think yeah, Rashford will start? 100%. I, I, I'd like Rashford to start. I'd like Rashford to start. The, the thing is, right, Rooney has to play. I can't, I, you can't drop Rooney at the moment just because he's actually, he's actually like providing the moments. He's consistently not good, but he keeps, he keeps coming out with like the X play, you know, the, the goal that he sets up against Hull City, the assist for Zlatan Ibrahimovic in the first, uh, the second game, a wonderful cross. You can't really drop him. So potentially, what I'm looking at here, right? You have Jess Lingard on the right. You play Rashford with Zlatan as a two. Whoever drops is fine. You know, I'd like to see Rashford in the number ten slot. I'd like to see Zlatan there. I'd like to keep that quite fluid. And then Wayne Rooney on that left-hand side, because that's the only way, place I can feel that you put him right now. Because Rashford's in, in such good forms. Latans looks so good in the Premier League. I think you need Jess Lingard to do some running and Rooney as well to do some running. You know, you go back to the days when Rooney was playing his best football. He was shunted out wide for a reason, because he had fantastic work rate, work rate for, a, for a wide player, for a striker, for an attacker. And yeah, that a, a, could be a criticism of his attacking play in a way where he's doing this, he's tracking back too much. But if he can do it, why not uh, get him to do a job on the likes of um, who's going to put on the right side? Maybe Bakary Sagner or, or Zabaleta. Get him to do a job on them. Just get him to work hard and then Rooney on the counter-attack, go. But then also Wayne Rooney's very intelligent on the break and that's the other thing that you've got. This is why it's such an interesting thing because I can't even tell you what team I'd pick. Because I'm telling you like five or six different players here right now that I, I'd like to start and I'd like to see in there. So it is, you know, it's down to Mourinho of how he, how he sees this Manchester City team and how he wants to attack it because in Surely a way Mourinho then switches it up I mean not you know not constantly but sort of you know we've seen Mourinho making some excellent substitutions for Manchester United recently you know he's had the luxury of having a Mkhitaryan on the bench and just being able to bring him on and so he's injured now isn't he no no Mkhitaryan. but you know what I mean you know what I mean about yeah. the, the, the timing of a substitution for Mourinho and he's had the luxury of him and being able to you know bring him on as a sub I think that's how I think it will be. So I think it will be Martial on the left, uh, Lingard on the right, 
and then Rooney off to that hand for the start, and then Rashford to be an impact sub. I reckon that'll fire Rashford up as well, you know, not starting after scoring a hat-trick. How pumped after scoring in the derby last season as well? How pumped are you going to be when you're coming off the bench? A Manchester lad, young, ready to go. I think that could be a really good option, especially with City tiring. But I think the first goal is crucial in, in a game. Whenever a game that's Mourinho versus Guardiola, the first goal really sets the, the tone. Chris, I did sort of make this point earlier when we were uh, previewing on TFR. It's not guesswork, but a lot of this is sort of drawing lines between common knowledge of both sides. And not a lot of it does seem very certain right now because, like I said, there's sort of a reset button that's been hit in some ways. Exactly. I think, as we talked previously, you mentioned that and yet they're both at the start of, of their respective projects. So it's it is difficult, I think, to make sweeping evaluations. You're you're relying on a very small sample size and arguably less as as managers. I think in in that regard, the the first meeting may also be have I would argue the the most scope for possibilities relative to their futures, assuming they stay for the full entirety of their contract. Yeah, it's a very good point actually, and I, I kind of made this point earlier that this is this is a battle within a war. Um, it's not sort of the war itself. Um, and there's a lot, there's a lot of articles being written around this. Um, interestingly as well, obviously uh, Spurs are moving stadium. Has anyone else seen the pictures of Spurs uh, stadium being ripped apart? No. I know, they, I know they want, didn't they say, or Daniel Levy said that the new one could host an NFL team. Yeah, apparently. Well, I don't even know why that's news, because I remember when the, the plans for the new stadium were released, there was a very clear sort of NFL uh, seg- se- section, if you like, in the press release. I remember there just being a lot of talk of NFL at the time. Um, obviously, I mean, how disconcerting would that be for you? As a, I mean, you know, I sort of feel a little bit disappointed if Liverpool want to use the stadium for anything but uh, football. But I suppose you've got to diversify. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't consistent, but St James's Park was used for the Rugby World Cup. Um, obviously, that's a different scenario, realistically. I think it's part of an ambitious plan for Spurs. I, I can see what they're trying to do. They're in a very that is London, trying to separate themselves. And I think that in itself is very difficult. Um there is a point though where it does start to feel a little bit silly, and I, I personally think NFL team involved like that is one of the more sillier ideas. Yeah, probably so. Um, and of course, Dave, uh, one thing I do want to mention before we move on is Rashford. Um, obviously, Rashford scored that hat trick for the England under twenty ones, not the England start of the England uh, senior team, if you like. Um, and Liverpool's watch sponsor actually tweeted out trolling Liverpool. I don't know if the guys get irony, but um, it was certainly interesting. Let's put it that way. Um, yeah, it's a weird one. That's what after to... understand sponsors sometimes. They are crazy. Well, it wasn't unusual. It was just a bit weird because, um, I mean, Liverpool have signed this deal with Holler. I think it's Voller or something. I can't remember what it is. I'm not going to buy one. Um, but if you'd love to send me one. Um, but I'm not going to buy one. But it, they basically, you just find someone who'll, put and i could do this i could glue liverpool's logo on behind a watch like if you if you want me to do that i'll do that for however much how many could you 
um, give me 24 hours and I reckon I could do 3,000. Then why are we doing this podcast? Great point. Really good point, Chris. I don't know why I bother sometimes. Uh, anyway, uh, in other news, Momo Sissoko is in the Premier League now. Yes, guys, Momo Sissoko of Liverpool fame says, I feel good. I was really happy to play for 60 minutes at the Hawthorns. Hawthorns. He said Hawthorns. Uh, and I'm confident I can do well here. Yes, he's joined West Brom. Thank you, Pulis. You brought him back to the league. Um, should we do some questions? Quite good by all accounts. He is good uh, by every account. I enjoy him. He was leggy in his younger days. Yeah, it's a, it, it is a bit surprising, though, because I, I thought some of the clubs, if you kind of look at his CV of late, you would think, oh, that's clearly someone on the downturn. I think he's very well, much a confidence not. player. Mm. Um, and in many ways, Liverpool was a peak for him. Um, just just in terms of, you know, being the, the the apex of what he was going towards. I remember being very excited when he signed for Liverpool. And he was certainly a Liverpool legend in that sense. Uh, so I wish him all the best. Uh, Dave, question one. Uh, thanks a lot for your questions on Twitter, by the way, guys. Really nice questions. And there are a lot of questions this week. Uh, Dave, who's your favourite team and player outside of your football club? Mm, at the moment, I think it's um, Juventus, I think, and Pablo, uh, Pablo, <laughs> Paolo Dybala. <laughs> Sorry, Paolo. Pablo Dybala, very good, Dave. Um, Chris, what about you? I missed the question, sorry. Sorry, who's your favourite team and football player outside of your club? Team and football player. Can I say Manchester United and Zlatan Ibrahimovic? I'm not even joking. I love them. You can, but you might struggle to go back to Liverpool. Um, At the minute, Ajax and uh, Bowser, the the midfielder. I think he's quite a complete midfielder. On Mario 64. Um, I'm trying to think of any others. <clears throat> Last Palmer seem an interesting prospect. Them yes. and Kevin Prince Boateng, uh, they've started the season well. I quite, I do, I do. I like their YouTube quite, show. Like getting invested um, in sort of teams like that, just following them uh, um, across the season. Um, so yeah, that's those are the two that I quite like at the minute. Dave, how's your football manager side? Lawrence, I kind of gave up this year, mate. I'm sorry, man. Why you said too much on? Yeah, I played it too much last year. I played, I invested a bit too much. I played 300, 315 hours or something like that. I could have learned a language, but I had a lot of fun. But don't worry, I'm going to play the next one to the death. So, you know, we'll have some stories for you. Is that going to go up on your YouTube channel, Dave, or our YouTube channel? I don't know, you know. I'm, I, I think so. I don't know. I just like playing Foot Manager on my own. I like all the stuff. I, like I don't know whether it be, I don't know how to make it exciting because I literally sometimes no, spend like a good four or five hours going trolling through like youth players in, in Germany or in... Yeah, anyway. <laughs> and, and what do you do with them? You just sort of click them... What do you do? I, I buy them, Lawrence. I scout them and then I buy them. And then they join, they join whichever wonderful football club I'm managing at that time. Probably Dynamo Dresden. And then they become, you know, the next Big Dave's fledglings, as I call them. Good God. Uh, this one comes from Ken Nobiel. Go. Uh, will John Stone stand a chance against Ibra, Chris? I have no doubt that Ibra, Ibra will uh, have him for breakfast. Um, I just don't know that Jersey song is it Ninety Nine Problems? Um, but what Stones ain't one. I, I think I think if he tries to go with them physically, I, I think he will get. Um, eaten alive and that will be something that I think 
will be quite interesting to watch as well. Whether Pep tries to maybe put Otamendi on uh, Zlatan because he's he's arguably the more physical and more sort of aggressive of the two centre backs. Um, and I, I I do wonder if he'll have Otamendi kind of going quite tight to Zlatan and then using stones to maybe sweep up and try and... I was going to say, try and get the second ball or try to get... But mm. then Zlatan's close control is fantastic, isn't it? And at the same time, I mean, yeah. are you better almost not not trying to body up with him, but almost, you know, get someone, like you say, more attentive um, and who mm-hmm. can give him more attention? Yeah, I think that's the thing with Zlatan is you can you can con yourself into trying to always take get win the first ball with him, whereas actually... You could argue you're you're a little bit better off maybe trying to let him just have that and see if you can get the second ball off him or shut off his passing lanes because he is a fantastic player. I will not try and paint it otherwise. I think like with any player though, he has some and they are few limitations and that is one of them. Is he's he's not really the quickest or the maybe the most mobile of forwards. Dave, did you see the very sweet little present that he sent Claudio Bravo for training? Yeah, it was um, it was nice. I don't know if Bravo's even going to play in the game at this point, but we'll see. Well, I would have preferred him, right? So get his get his video camera or get his phone. Yeah, get his video camera. Drop, out drop one in a in a paper bag, Dave. Set it on fire. And drop Dave. it on his doorstep. On his own Watch doorstep. What happens? No, no, on Claudio Bravo's doorstep. Okay. <laughs> see what happens. <laughs> oh, I would love to have seen that. So what do we do now then? I don't know. Just leave it. Yeah, just leave it. Uh, why, why are we just leaving it? He's at training. All right. Uh. Uh, did you enjoy that bag, Claudio? Yeah. <laughs> what? what bag? Oh, my, my front my front mat was a bit burned out, but apart from that, I don't know what else you mean. Shit. Oh, literally. Um, you good, 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 uh, good, good, good. What? What are you? Uh, what are your thoughts on the tawnies interfering with progress from players from these? countries which basically is john shin saying international uh, tournaments like afcon and afc are held mid-league season chris which one's interfering with which that's a very good question it's a very chicken and egg question um, yeah which came first afcon or premcon the premier league yeah uh, i'm gonna guess afcon uh Yes, it is disruptive. I, I agree with that. Um, I, th- I think it has a place, though. I think it's a little bit narrow-minded almost to think that you should only really kind of uh, cater to your league or your situation. It's a little bit one-sided. Yeah, I, I, th- I think I know. I know for a fact it does impact clubs' um, transfer business, though, um, because you have to consider that at least one of the the nine months that you play, you will have that player potentially missing if they play for a, a prominent African nation that qualifies. Um, and yeah, it's, it's difficult. Of course it is, but it also has a place. I think it's, I think it's harsh to dismiss it just because it doesn't sit right in the calendar. Good question here, Dave. Uh, what's the oldest Apple product you've ever owned since they're trending right now? Hashtag Apple event. Um. Maybe, I think I had iPod Shuffles, one of the first generation ones. That was pretty cool. That's that good. helped my paper round go, you know, a lot quicker. I could listen to, um, <laughs> what was that, that 
Eminem, was it an Eminem song? I see you sleeping, I can see from my shadow. That's, uh, that Wanna was Akon. jump up in my bikini Corrado. Yeah, so I'd just stroll, I'd cycle around town listening to that. That was Akon. Dropping my papers off. Yeah, that was, that was great. That was Akon that was called, and Eminem. That was Smack That. Yeah, yeah that was it. Yeah. Smack That. In the same, the same album, uh, I think oh. he worked with Snoop Dogg, and that really was a... Uh, that was a... Uh, different song i that was a good song uh snoop's rap was good in that um chris your oldest apple product mm. ever you've ever owned oldest apple. i had one of the original ipods with the um almost like calculator screen i don't know what you what yeah, you actually yeah. call well, it black and white um one of the old black and white screens and it used to light up um yeah yeah. I, had, I had one of those. Um, I had one of the original iPhones for a while. That was good. Yeah, I never had a. Um, to be honest, I never had a Macintosh computer until I got my MacBook. Um, I'd always been Windows up until that point. I had a one of the little black MacBooks. MacBooks, yeah, MacBooks, MacBook. It was a MacBook. Yeah, it was a MacBook. Yeah, um, lovely little thing. And I remember the first day I got it. I was so excited. It was. Uh, that really what that was a great memory the first macbook i think one of my friends daniel has still got that very macbook and it is still a beautiful piece of design um this is a good question what would your and this one comes from ashok what would your ultimate retired premier league 11 be by the way i'm turning 18 this sunday um ashok happy birthday for this sunday from all of them the team at the front three all the behind the scenes staff all the ones that make this sound the way that they do all the people in the radio studio etc happy birthday from all of us um, ultimate Premier League eleven guys of retired players. I'm going um, to say up front there has to be Thierry. Okay, Peter Schmeichel. Good. Gary Neville. Gary Neville's good. Philippe Albert. Uh, Tony Adams. Good try, Chris. Dennis Irwin. I've got it. Are you kidding? I'll bet Chip Schmeichel. He gets in every day of the week. Okay. Uh, midfield. midfield Makaleli. Who? Uh, Pat- Patrick Vieira. Okay, so Patrick um, Vieira, good. All right, fair enough. So Patrick, um, Patrick Vieira and Frank Lampard. I'm only joking. Ah, um, uh, so the is retired. Skulls, Christ, I'd never get him. Skulls. Vieira, Skulls would be a good combo. And then a front three. Pardon the pun. Of Bowood. Uh, Zola. Oh. Henri. Henri. Oh, man. And then Beardsley or Shearer. Because Beardsley was unreal. Beardsley yeah, let's, was... let's do that. Zola, Beardsley, Henri. Because Beardsley was on. Again, I don't know if many of our listeners will remember this. Beardsley was so influential in helping Andy Cole score all those goals um, that I think he would have a similar impact on Henri. Imagine watching that team 38 weeks of the season. That would actually that would be, be brilliant. Dave, anyone you'd throw in? Dwight York, maybe? Um, I'd pay to watch yeah. that. I would YouTube around Ruben Van Nistelrooy would be quite good. Yeah. Cristiano. Oh, no, but then, yeah, sorry. Retired. But Top yeah. bit. Yeah, just because they go to um, another country, Dave, doesn't mean they're retired. Yeah, sorry, he's retired for me. I just get really upset about it, right? Um, I'm Trying to think of a pro, uh, to pro, to retire Premier League. You've got I mean, Roy Keane, right? You've got Brome in central midfield. Surely there. Are, who'd you put in goal, Chris? Peter Schmeichel. Yeah, that's good. Big Pete. That's not a bad. Simon. 
well, I mean, we could try and make some sort of little baby, but no. Um, <laughs> uh, can't lob semen, that's what I remember. Yeah. From my childhood. Childhood. Um, try all you like, but you can't lob semen. Thank you, David Platt. Um, anyway, great question. Let us know your retired Premier League 11s on Twitter, at the front three, numeral three. Uh, good. Next question. Um, who is the new nation providing the most world stars? I'm just going to put it out there. Kosovo. Um, most what? I think France have got the best generation at the moment in terms of young players. Yes. Mm-hmm. I'd agree with that. Um, Germany as well. Both got fantastic youth at the moment. England. I also I mean, think PSG will have a crack. Yeah, PSG are going to have a dirty team in a few years. If you think of, excuse yeah. me, if you think of the players they've already lost to other clubs, like guys like Kingsley Coleman and, and that ilk, I think it'll only get better because at the minute they benefit hugely from the fact that there's just no one to rival them for that catchment area. Yeah, uh, Chris, I wait. Like having London to yourself. Yeah, which is unusual. I do find that so weird. Like Paris is such a strange city for, in that sense. It just doesn't have. Mm-hmm. How can it only have that? I just don't get it. Um, it's as if well, the bourgeoisie the existed there once and kept everyone else down. Whatever. Um, you know what I mean? They've got other clubs. They're just not of that ilk. Yeah, they keep them I under wraps. Red Star and Par- and I think Paris FC. I'm, I'm relying heavily on old football manager knowledge. Yes, yeah, so you got Paris FC. And what sounds like Pro Evo knowledge. Who are in? Actually, they just were relegated from the second division last season. What's their badge like? Are either of them sort of hipster-looking teams, Chris? Um, funny enough, Paris FC does look a lot like Pro Evolution. It's essentially an artist rendition of the Eiffel Tower. Brilliant. Um, in a sort of, I don't know, like a, a rounded shield. You know and what? Tw- the- we'll tweet it out later, and we'll see if we can get them. And then you've got Red Star, who finished uh, fifth in League Two last season. They are also of uh, of Paris, founded in 1897. So actually, if I believe I've got this correct, they are older than Paris Saint-Germain by a considerable distance, because I think PSG were only founded in 73 or something like yeah, that. Yeah, they they're really a very young club in that sense, PSG. Yeah, um, 1970, 46 years old this year. Uh, yes, correct. Um, d- d- Chris, how are you? And that one's from Aways Ali. For, from who? Where's Ali? Aways, Aways Ali says, um, how are you? Oh, that's very nice. I'm, I'm very good. I'm uh, in the midst of a packing. I fly at four o'clock to this morning as you guys are listening Sheets. to this. I'll okay. already be on the move. Oh, yeah, so time is the essence. Going back to New York, Chris, for how long? I believe on 12 days. I come back on the 19th. So not long. What are you doing over there? Uh, attending a wedding this weekend. Um, a Jewish wedding, which I haven't never been to before, which should be interesting. Um, and then after that, just taking in a few MLS games, really doing a little bit of work now and again. And if if people are in town, let Chris know. I'm sure yeah, definitely. By all means. Uh, good question here, Dave. What's your favourite Prince song, and why is it Raspberry Beret? To be honest with you, Lawrence, mate, I'm not really into Prince. I'm, I'm more of a, a new music type of guy. And, uh, the the uh, classics are there, Dave, but... Prince's new music. It's not for me, Lauren, sorry. He's not laser quasar, is he? <laughs> um, 
you know what? I've actually come across a really good show. If you have Apple Music, it is genuinely one of the best uh, shows. It's where uh, Chili Gonzalez, who's like a pianist, uh, be careful you say that correct. <laughs> um, he um, he's a very famous sort of musician, a, a music geek. He breaks down other artists' songs, and there's two. He does one for Daft Punk, one for um, Weezer, never mind, and one for Drake. And he sort of breaks down how they put their music together, and it is it's good. It's really good listening, actually. And he plays it back on the piano. It's it's a lovely show. Uh, go and listen to it. Um, uh, got another good question here. What's your favourite moment for your club, Dave? That's from JJ. Favourite moment ever? Yes. Ever in in history? Yeah. Shit. That's a big question, that. You know what? I, I, I still love that Kiko McKay, the goal against Aston Villa. I went absolutely bananas when that went in. In in recent memory, I don't know, maybe Marcus Rashford's uh, two goals against Michelin, that was um, a very, very good debut, or his goal away at West Ham, that was an absolute corker. Uh, uh, There are... Oh, wait a minute. Uh, What is it with all the AFC players and dyeing their hair, says Ahmed Youssef, uh, Chris. Uh, He uses uh, Meza Ozil, uh, Olivier Giroud, Aaron Ramsey, and indeed... Uh, Chain Oxlade Chamberlain uh, as examples. It, it's quite a good look. I feel like Adam at the end of the season is going to look good, Chris, if he existed now. Yes, I guess it's just fashion, isn't it? At the end of the day. I guess Although so. I'm not a big fan of Ramsey's hair personally. That looks I really like bad. it. I like it. <laughs> it looks atrocious. Um, Chris, use admittedly a small sample size, January 16 to present. Number one, Chris Hennage on the front three. Number two, I, I genuinely don't know what I'm reading. Uh, I think I'm reading a reply to another uh, tweet there. <laughs> don't know why I read that out. Um, you, Wait, what is this? It's something about... You tweeted it, that to us? It, uh, Marcos Van Eep um, said something about percentages. Uh, oh, it was something to do with Chris. And Chris, you appear on the podcast. What's the percentage of podcasts you've, you've appeared on? since January 2016 with us. Am I tagged in that tweet or not? Uh, yes, you are actually, yeah. Um, Dave Bentner. Yeah, play for doing the maths on that one. Dave Bentner. Dave Bentner. Dave Bentner. Sorry, my phone was just like, I was clicking on mute. I was clicking it and clicking it and clicking it. And I was like, I'm back. You not are. today, Dave, buddy. Dave Bentner. Um, mm, Bentner. He had a pretty decent record last time he came to the Premier League. Didn't he get over 10 league goals? Got a few assists. But I think those times have passed. Um, but you never know with, with Nicholas. He's a he's an interesting character, to say the least. Going to Nottingham Forest is an interesting move, though, isn't it? It is, yeah. Imagine he's getting paid a fair wedge though, because they've they they've got a bit of rich owners, I think. But yeah, yeah it's a, that's one of the reasons they sold Ollie Burke though, is to make money back for a bit. For Nicholas Bentner, they were they, the Nicholas Bentner was like lads, yeah, no, no, 50, fifteen million signing on fee. <clears throat> but just to kind of balance the books in that sense, they're not their owners by all accounts are rich, but they're not investing that necessarily in the club. Nottingham Forest play uh, Arsenal in two weeks. Um, Carlos says, will you guys be buying FIFA 17? If so, would you play fans? Well, that's exciting. Should we buy Should we buy uh, FIFA 17 and play the fans? I'm going to buy it. I'm going to try and get good at it again. 
I didn't I, play the FIFA this I year. played Too FIFA 760 at 15 the other day and absolutely thrashed a 10-year-old. That was good fun. Um, <laughs> well, you set of hobbies you've got. Yeah. Um, Favourite TV shows currently, guys? Oh, you what? I've had a binge on Narcos recently and it is sick have in you the wa- head. Have you watched episode uh, series two, Dave? Yeah, I'm on series two, so I've watched Great. I watched eight in like two days. It was Great. pretty disgusting. It for me. Um, Chris, I'm big at the moment. I'm a massive fan of Mythbusters. I'd love to see a football version of that. Um, what about you? <laughs> uh, Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Oh, um, is, is that good? Is that actually good, though, Chris? It's, it seems it's a little bit shit sometimes. Yeah, it's... Yeah, it's... It's a bit like Big Bang Theory used to be. There's there's good moments and bad. You just kind of ride through it. Yeah, there's some of it you like... can. There is some of it where you're like, this is just beyond fast. This isn't actually funny. Um, and you're a little bit like, oh, this isn't really. Yeah, is that really funny? Or like, would cops really act like this? Yeah, it's it's it depends how much you like Andy Samberg. To be honest, I really flick between enjoying him and not enjoying him. Um, Santiago is is incredibly attractive, though I must admit. Um, wow, um, I'm yeah. trying to think of, of any. I mean, even her character is quite flawed, though. Um, <laughs> you know. Even beautiful people are flawed. Anyway, <laughs> um, especially beautiful people are flawed. Yes, I know. I do have a lot. Um, um, I think the cards is fantastic, but it's not currently in season at the moment. That no. is, I will. I'm I'm not a great binge watcher, honestly. It, it, that is all for apart from House of Cards from that is a brilliant piece of TV from what I can work out Kristen you are very much in season right now uh, David says damn I can't think of a good question thanks David um, Nick says why do some athletes uh, brackets Hope Solo think they can do or say things without repercussions Chris I'm not sure they do no I think I think where this question is coming from um so there, there is a video floating around of solo being told that she's being cut from the team and, and all the repercussions that's happening and it's it's being filmed personally and she's furious at the decision and and i wrote something like about this on on reddit actually and said that what you've got to remember is this is someone who is and she kind of alludes to herself has invested 17 years in a in a situation and is having the end of that career being chosen by someone else and not on terms that she wants that is not to mitigate her reaction her behavior or any of the preceding factors that caused this to happen just to say and i think we forget this sometimes about players it's going to be gut-wrenching that is going to be very emotional because you have invested your time your energy you've missed birthdays weddings a variety of things you've made sacrifices for to make this team to make the situation the best it can be mm. and regardless of the mistakes you may have made along the way intentionally or otherwise it is still disappointing when you have that career you have that success but you do not bow out of it in the way that perhaps you had planned or intended to yes yeah, good point um seems this year so many clubs have built on winning champions league juve Bayern, psg real madrid barca Will it be f- uh, a failed year for the four that don't win? I'm not quite sure what that question means, but essentially I think people are sort of saying, is there, uh, what Carlos is saying there, Dave, is is there a, a sort of a, a an upper tier of clubs now which are almost uncatchable in a sense? 
I think that's definitely an elite. When we see these elite group of teams that emerge, sometimes there's always a really team that wins it. When there's so many favourites going around that they just least expect goes on, you know, goes on a really good run and it goes on to win it. Because the thing with Atletico, I think it's going to take them maybe a year to get back into the Champions League, looking at their first few games and how they've how they've performed. You know, similar sort of hangover to the last time that they lost the final. I can't see Real winning it. I don't think they've strengthened enough. They, you know, they've brought in a number of brilliant youth players, but. They haven't taken their team to the next level. Again, going back to football manager, whenever you win win a title or a Champions League, it's always who's the next player to improve my team. Similar to what Sir Alex Ferguson did at Manchester United, you know, applied to football manager. You've always got to look for that next player, the next centre back who's gonna, you know, who's better than what you've got, the next fullback or you know, whoever, so forth. So I don't think they're gonna win it. Uh, Barcelona, obviously very high favourite. Same with Bayern Munich, but could be someone like Juventus sneak out there. You, uh, just a side will emerge, but you know, Borussia Dortmund are in there. They could be very, very difficult if they switch to a back five in the last uh, sort of the semi-finals and, and uh, the quarters. You know, playing on the counter attack. So there's a lot of teams there that could explode. But I think it's it's that early doors dark horse that's going to come out that potentially might win the tournament. When does the Champions League return? Is that next week? The Champions League returns. Yeah, it starts on the 13th and the 14th. Good God! The same day that Mac OS releases. Uh, no, sorry, iOS. The new iOS releases. Good God, we're going to be watching Champions League football. Guys, you're going to hear a very special show on those days. Uh, we may even be doing some Champions League content on the YouTube channel. I do reviews on the YouTube. Uh, anyway, Dave, it's been great to have you tonight. You've never seen such a cool dude. Thanks, man. And do you know why he keeps it so fly? Because he knows whether to buy that dude. Do you know what, Lawrence, actually? Yeah, on a little, little tangent here. I bought a skateboard last week. You are. And I tell you what, I've not had as much fun in my life in bloody years. Dave, do you want to go skating incredible. or something together this weekend? Do you skate down Brick Lane? Nah, yeah. I usually skate around Victoria Park doing like ollies and shit and jumping up curbs. But you see, I tell you what, if you, if, you've, if you feel like you need something to just cheer yourself up once in a while, buy a bloody skateboard. It's like having a dog, but you don't have to feed it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know what to say. I don't. Sometimes I just let those things go now. (laughs) In the, it's got force of something. Um. Anyway, we're done here. Uh, Chris, you actually have a dog. Is it a bit like riding a skateboard? No, it's not nearly as fun. You've got to feed it and everything. Yeah, and it shits everywhere. You can't ride it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean. If you go to certain parts of Newcastle, I'm sure you can find people that would. Anyway, uh, it's been good to have you guys on the podcast. Uh, we will see you again real soon. Dave is at Squawker Dave, S-Q-U-A-W-K-A-D-A-V-E. I'm Lozcast, L-O-Z-C-A-S-T. And of course, every week we have Kristen Hennage on because he is part of the front three. K-H-E-N-E-A-G-E. It's well worth looking us up on Twitter because both of those guys tweet fantastic things. And if you want to catch up with a guy who's away right now, Adam Boltwood. It's Adam normal adam uh, b-o-u-l-t-w-o-o-d don't forget the wood he never does and we'll see you again real soon on tf3